Hi, and welcome to this online fireside chat organized by Toom and Ross Republic. My name is Adrian. I'm partner at the consultancy Ross Republic. Um, we help financial institutions, fintechs, as well as software companies to, to uh, grow and develop by enabling them to find new customer value streams, to master ecosystems, and create new value propositions. Um, together with Toom, we have teamed up to create a new white paper called It's Time to Build, Making the Right Technology Choices to Enable True Business Transformation in Banking. In this paper, we invite you to discover the most important market shifts happening in banking and fintech right now, the key technologies driving the industry forward, emerging business models, as well as what to look out for when choosing a co-banking solution. Um, the white paper has just been released. I really recommend you to check it out. You can do that on Toom's website and blog. You find that on Toom's uh, on toomplatform.com. Um, the fireside chat today is the first one. It's also um, about the first part of our white paper, so the main customer and market trends shaping the industry right now. Um, we're really happy that we're joined by Simon Usaker, who's the CEO of Genua. How are you doing, Simon? Very good. Very good. Thank you. Awesome. So Simon is the um, CEO of uh, Genra. It's uh, the number one European payment gate for crypto companies. For example, innovative European crypto companies use Genra's payment account solutions to accept payments and send payouts while maintaining full compliance and stable business operations. Um, before that, Simon was one of the first hires at Chainalysis and is one of the top experts on the topic of crypto technology, forensics and compliance. For example, he has trained European regulators, the majority of the largest exchanges, as well as um, the uh, international um, banks and law enforcement entities on the topic of crypto. So again, uh, thanks a lot, Simon, that you joined the session today. Um, I would be really interested to hear quickly in your own words um, what Genera is offering exactly um, when you will launch and also maybe a little bit about your own background. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for, for that introduction. Um, the, the, the very short explanation of, uh, of uh, what Genera is, is, is setting out to do is, is to provide uh, payment accounts for, for businesses that are uh, working with, uh, with cryptocurrencies, uh, Web3, Bitcoin, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's, uh, it's a problem that hasn't been solved. In, in the continental EU uh, to a very large extent. Uh, and these businesses are struggling uh, despite being being regulated and registered with the local FSAs. Uh, they still have a hard time uh, partnering up with, uh, with banks uh, yep. that can understand their business and, and understand the risk and, and provide them a basic basic infrastructure such as, as payment accounts. This is what we're, we're really good at is understanding the risk and understanding the space uh, and help them through that. Uh, as I should briefly mention, uh, my background comes from uh, uh, from working uh, in, in in this space. Uh, I've been working with Chainalysis between uh, 2016 and, and 2020, uh, and, and met a lot of the, the stakeholders in this industry uh, through my my work there, or with training and education. And I understand the challenges of the banks, of of, uh, of the regulators, uh, of law enforcement, and of course of of our peers and our uh, uh, coming customers, which are the the cryptocurrency uh, businesses. Amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear also your opinions on like the re recent trends and developments in the in the financial services industry. So really looking forward to this episode. Um, our second guest is Ovik Kreisson. He is the co-founder and CTO of Toom, the modular platform for seamless banking. So also thanks for joining Ovik. Um, could you also quickly describe in your own words um, what Toom is offering and um, also a little bit about your own background? Yeah, sure. So Toom is uh, an API-first cloud-based banking platform. Uh, supporting main retail and business banking use cases such as core banking, different sorts of payments, card issuing, support for credit products, uh, deposits, and, and and many more options. And currently in a process to move from uh, retail and business to also to the corporate side. And uh, my background is also in mainly in financial services and especially on the technology side for the last 10 years, 
and having been uh, working together with some of the major uh, players in the market, such as Arvato, OP Financial Services Group, even also with Solaris Bank, so that uh, have a quite a diverse background and overview of the market. Amazing. Um, yeah, I'm also looking forward to talking with you about these uh, the topics that we've planned for today. And I would say let's directly jump into one of our main topics, um, which is changing customer expectations in the banking industry. So basically in the paper, we also kick off by um, highlighting some of the most recent market trends that we've been seeing in financial services. The chapter is called the financial industry is evolving. Um, we basically described there that um, the uh, traditional barriers to entry in banking, like regulation, technology, uh, consumer stickiness that actually have protected, protected traditional banks are kind of fading away, um, which puts also pressure on traditional incumbents to stay competitive. Um, so when it comes to consumer expectations, we have been seeing in other industries um, from really successful technology firms like Amazon or Spotify that they have taken existing services and transformed them into really fully digital experiences, um, which are now also part of their customers' daily lives. Um, and we also see that with leading fintechs and digital banks, which are kind of copying this model in financial services, um, transforming banking products into deeply embedded um, services that meet customer needs more intelligently um, in a more engaging and contextual way. And before I will go on to describe how we um, how we have uh, highlighted that in our white paper, I would be really interested to hear kind of generally from both of you um, what expectations and, and well, basically custom expectations and also changes in customer behaviors you've been seeing popping up in the recent years um, and maybe also which ones are most significant in your point of view um, over if you want to take the first one. Yeah, uh, definitely that uh, what you mentioned about Amazon and Spotify, I think is a very good example and they are definitely the sort of uh, market makers of customer experience in general. Yeah. And I think this is something that now the customers are also expecting from the financial services that they want, well, definitely real-time online services, of course, but they want the same level of, let's say, user experience, the comfortability yeah. and, and also the personalization of the services, especially if you talk about Spotify or Netflix or anything that is uh, related to that. And also the other trend is that if, if so far sort of financial services and banks have been something like as their own thing, then now the customers are expecting to actually get financial services that when they really need them. So, for example, I, when I want to buy something in Amazon, I want to have like, I don't know, let's say buy now, pay later scheme. Yeah. Uh, I want to buy a car or uh, even a mortgage. Then I want to lend money. Uh, I, I, I need to quickly pay something. I need to be able to do it like uh, right away so that um, this is something that the customers are expecting. Yeah. That, uh, not that I have to well postpone what I want to do actually with my money because my bank doesn't allow me to uh, to get access to my money right now when I need something. And I think this is something also that that the crypto level is uh, is providing access because if you look at like, for example, MetaMask that you can in your browser directly access your account, initiate mm -hmm. transactions, then why not the bank? Yeah, fully agree. I'm sure Simon also you have some uh, opinions on that topic. Yeah, very, very much agree with that. I, I think uh, at Yanoa we are in a, in a very unique position because we have we have uh, one one foot in the old and, and one foot in the new, or, or, or one face looking in each direction, right? Um, so so if you take the, the 
perspective of, of the end user, the, the, the customer, uh, they are using tools as, as MetaMask or other uh, decentralized protocols or decentralized currencies. Uh, uh, a lot of the users and a lot of the, the businesses uh, are, are, are millennials uh, made yeah. of, of people who are digitally native, internet native. Um, they expect things to, to work fast, for tools to work, for user interfaces to, to make sense. Uh, and, and they have this experience that they can go out out in, in the, the, the more decentralized world, they can invest, they can do payments, they can create identities, uh, uh, maybe even build businesses. Uh, and yeah. as soon as they need to to then go in and maybe take some money out from an investment or interact with, with, with their normal bank or the legacy system, then it all kind of grinds to pretty much a halt, right? Um, and and, uh, and I think that's deeply frustrating for them. I think it's deeply frustrating for, for the businesses that, that we're looking to serve mm -hmm. uh, is that all the activity they have on the blockchain, it's, it's compliant, it's registered with FSAs, they know what they're doing, they're filing reports. Uh, and then the, the slowdown is actually the, the, the traditional uh, system. Yep. Uh, and I think uh, I think a lot of them are uh, are, are hoping that we move in a, in a more digital uh, direction, both in terms of uh, uh, identities, payments, uh, and uh, KYC AML to make sure that, that these systems work more like the the Spotify's or the, mm -hmm. the tools that they're that they're used to. Yeah, that's super interesting. It's and what both of you just said is actually really aligned with what we um, also outlined in the white paper, where our main message is basically that. Um, yeah, digital banking is table stakes. It's, it's, it's not something that is any differentiating anymore. It's just something you have to do. Um, driven by customers' expectations, which uh, and customers just expect real-time seamless and uh, intelligent banking services. We have included one study, which was conducted by TOOM across the UK and Germany as well, um, which also basically revealed that a uh, offering a modern tech-driven banking service is becoming extremely important and a really big success factor in banking. Um, the representative study has basically showed that um, over 90% of banking customers in the UK and almost the same 85% of banking customers in Germany highlighted that a strong technology offering is the most important factor when deciding where to bank. So most of them have still been um, uh, saying that they are uh, loyal to the primary, ba primary bank, um, but at the same time, technology was one of the key um, decision factors. So. Um, I think it's also a known fact that many people have second or third accounts with uh, neobanks and digital companies. So I think that will be also driving some of the um, market shifts that we will see in the next decade and, and years. Um, internet banking penetration is also something that maybe is a nice indicator to look at. We have included that in the white paper as well. And that has been growing really fast, especially probably also driven by the COVID crisis. Um, it's now at around 80% in um, France and Sweden. In Germany and the UK, it's now at over 60%. And we can actually see that the internet penetra banking penetration has been growing fast in the last two years during the lockdowns and so on. I think that's not a surprise, but it's still so something that shows that, um, yeah, that, that assessing banking services digitally is now um, the, the way to go. Um, and I also think many target groups that have not been using digital banking services before the COVID crisis have now just been entering digital banking. For example, elderly people, uh, people living um, on the countryside that couldn't go into branches anymore. They are now also digital banking customers. Um, there are studies that have been showing that over 80% will continue using online banking services. So now this has been yeah, just a big acceleration of, um, of digital banking services. Um, so my, my, what I would really like to hear from, from you is, um, how these new entrants from fintechs or tech companies with their highly sophisticated customer experiences affect the banking industry um, and also the customer expectations that they have been um, or that, that they need to cater towards now. Um, do you think this has been also due to COVID accelerated or um, have there been any observations that you've been making in the market recently? 
Simon, if you want to go first. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so I can I can give our, our own unique perspective on this. Um, so uh, you know, we're we're a regulated payment institute uh, under uh, under open banking. Um, yeah. uh, that, that was that was put in place exactly for uh, to 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 um, um, create more innovation uh, and make sure that uh, that the banks weren't the, the ultimate gatekeepers uh, of innovation in the financial industry and, and financial products. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have our own obligations uh, for AML towards the, the FSA, um, which is also why uh, it, it's easy for us to work with banks because a traditional crypto business uh, ultimately the bank would be responsible for their AML policies. Uh, that is not the case when you are a, a regulated payment institute. Okay. Um, and I think it, it's it's very easy to to look at the the banks as as, as being slow or lazy, and it's, it's hard for them to move. I, I think the the, the the reality is a bit more nuanced. I'm I'm not jealous of the positions the banks are in. Yeah. There are some, some systemic challenges for them in terms of innovating and creating new products, and also uh, stepping into crypto. Uh, right now, we have a regulatory framework uh, that is that is favorable to startups. Um, we can register as a as a payment institution in Yanoa. Um, our customers, the the crypto businesses. Will be regulated under the fifth anti-money laundering directive. Um, there is a, quite clear uh, guidelines for them in terms of uh, transaction monitoring, AML, KYC, reporting requirements. Uh, uh, they open up for inspections by FSA, um, uh, which makes this case uh, an obvious one for a, for a startup, especially one that, that can move fast to go yeah. in and, and build products in that domain. Uh, the banks are are uh, subject to much more regulation, uh, much more uh, strict regulation, uh, and and they're uh, in most cases waiting for uh, kind of the, the next regulation of the cryptocurrencies, which will be Mika markets and crypto assets. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that will be uh, much more detailed uh, in the way that uh, that the financial institutions are supposed to interact with with crypto uh, crypto assets. Yep. So so there is uh, there there is uh, both challenges and opportunities for the banks. Um, just because it's not regulated yet doesn't mean that the bank shouldn't pay attention. Uh, yeah. we, we, I think we all know that uh, a bank uh, doesn't just launch products uh, uh, in a year if they decide to do something. So yeah. I think there's there's definitely an opportunity for them to, to do research uh, on how to offer these products on, on the longer term. Um, but, but right now, uh, I think uh, in, in the EU, we actually have a, a quite good environment for startups uh, building innovation and building new tech and 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 also they won't face the the traditional uh, challenges that banks have in terms of attracting talent uh, dealing yeah. with tech depth and, and the likes okay and uh, maybe we go deeper into um, what you just said as well i think that um, is connected to my next question which was around crypto and web3 which are really big um, trends right now and also looking at the amount of vc money that is flowing into these segments um so connected to what you have just been saying what are your observations observations on very especially let's say customer experience in also let's say traditional banking might be going next when you just look at what's happening in early adopters that are now working in crypto and web3 right now do you think there are any early signs where you can already see some trends um, that will spill over to the traditional finance world or is it too early now to say what what do you think i think um i think it's it's very easy to say about the products there's definitely a lot of products that we see there's a huge demand for uh, yeah. we're, we're looking at what will be the next mega trend in, in finance and, and tech uh, which i believe is is crypto bitcoin web3 again whatever you want to call that yeah um i think uh, i think uh, right now there's there's the completely decentralized world uh, and and there's the completely centralized world uh, and i think the the, the kind of the um, the, the main market is going to be somewhere in between that. Um, I mm. think there is a demand for products, be that investment products or payment products uh, that builds on on blockchain, Web3. Um, 
Uh, and I think the banks will be moving closer to that. Uh, yeah. But I also think that the startups will be moving closer to, to what the banks are offering uh, in, in terms of security, insurance, uh, all these traditional uh, aspects of, of finance uh, that will, to some extent, uh, make their way into to mm -hmm. the crypto products. Okay, yeah, sounds really interesting. And over um, now, based on these emerging customer expectations that are now um, very focused on um, that their banks are able to deliver really seamless digital customer experiences, um, based on your work and and the um, yeah experience that you uh, have of uh, working with traditional banks, what do you think will be the effects on how banking services are delivered in the future? For example, like online customer verification, online KYC processes becoming mainstream, speedy customer service, um, or that everything becomes manage manageable via mobile channels, for example, like asset management or um, mortgages and loans uh, accessible via um, uh, banking apps and so on. Um, what do you think will be like effects that m the majority of the banking industry will have to, um, yeah, will have to uh, follow um, in the coming years? Yeah, I think definitely one is the, what you mentioned, that everything is moving online. Uh, the COVID crisis was a very good example of that, that pretty mm -hmm. much the winners were those who can do like a fully digital KYC processes, who can offer everything online. There is no need to have like any bank. Uh, these, were, these were definitely the winners of the COVID crisis. Yeah. I think what is... Uh, uh, currently, maybe also a bit of a showstopper for the banks is already the previously mentioned uh, regulation and legislation. Uh, the issue is that, for example, strong customer authentication is a really, really good topic in that sense that it, well, again, coming from Estonia, things are very well. In our case, we have full digital yeah. identities here, but, uh, and the same goes for the Nordics, uh, not that great in Western Europe and other parts of the world. So I think this is something that definitely... Uh, let's say the states and regulators can help with that uh, that to come up like a good way how to have like a fully digital authentication uh, because with these digital services is also that one is the service itself but the other is like for example if you look at how you interact with spotify also you sign in with google or facebook in that sense and that sort of things this is not available for banks at all in reality this is uh, this is not how you can conduct any regulated business yeah um the other thing is definitely that the banking is moving uh, more and more into the embedded space. This opens up for the banking also new revenue streams uh, because uh, it will bring down your marketing costs in that sense. You get much closer to the, where the customers actually are. You can offer the services right there uh, uh, in, in the very clo close area of the customer. And, uh, and the other parts is also what I, I have seen in the banks uh, is the sort of... Uh, banking as a service or the similar offerings that, mm -hmm. uh, that they see that there is a well due to well currently we still have a negative interest rate climate so that uh, they are uh, looking for new revenue streams that is one in that sense because they have the capital yeah. uh, they have the licenses and now if they can uh, find up like uh, either partners or build on their own good technology yeah. then they can actually open up a quite a nice business line for them in that sense and and this means also that they can provide the tech and the capital uh, but they let other fintechs or uh, people who are, let's say, maybe more familiar with all this customer experience and everything like that do the actual work for them in that sense and, and still reap the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, super interesting. I think, um, yeah, that really wraps it up quite nicely what we have been seeing as well um, in, in um, as general trends happening in banking and fintech right now. And also um, we talk a lot about this in the white paper. I would now, um, you already touched upon it, um, switch to the topic of regulation. Um, in the paper, we say that regulation drives further um, competition. Um, and in the paper, we pick one specific regulatory development 
that uh, significantly has impacted banks already in Europe, which is open banking, uh, PSD2, um, because we basically uh, say in our white paper that open banking has kind of a little bit redefined the value chain by exposing banking data to third parties uh, via regulatory compliant APIs. Um, so basically, if customers give consent, um, then these third parties can access tra um, banking transaction data and, and also initiate payments from account to account on the customer's behalf. Um, we've been seeing hundreds of third party providers that now utilize transaction data and also facilitate um, account to account payments. Also interesting, according to Programmable Web, um, the amount of financial services APIs that are um, opened up globally has been growing really fast since 2012. And so this is also a major trend that we've been seeing, um, which is basically exposing banking data. Um, but as you mentioned, more than that, in terms of banking as a service, not only the data, but also full capabilities like payments and also loans, for example. Um, so in the paper, we conclude that this potentially pushes banks to really keep up with competitors even more. Um, because um, now they're they're losing their really important asset, kind of which is data and um, and banking um, and capabilities, um, which are now more and more opened up to third parties that can utilize and work with that, and maybe also um, even provide a better customer experience than the bank is offering. Um, and at the same time, it pushes banks to really start utilizing the amazing data that they have uh, at their disposal and really um, provide a great customer experiences out of it and also to um, probably um, create higher efficiencies inside the bank. Um, so that's why we think that banking data and capabilities will become even more a strategic business asset for banks and that APIs will then also become an ever more important distribution channel. Um, we will talk more about like the tech side of APIs um, and the business models that they enable in our next session and the second uh, uh, online webinar. Um, but I would be really interested to hear from both of you how you see the importance of data um, in the next years and um, the, also to the extent the extent that banks are able to utilize them nowadays and also going forward. Um, maybe over if you want to um, answer that one first and then I would be interested to hear from Simon how he thinks about that whole topic. Uh, so regarding the data then um... I think that the sort of hyper-personalization is definitely a very intriguing topic uh, because uh, if, I, if I look at also like, for example, uh, my own bank, whose services I'm using, mm -hmm. it's not really personalized, the offers. My friends get the same offers, I get the same offers. They, for example, I get offers to, uh, let's say, car insurance. I don't even own a car. So that, uh, that, that's a, that sort of topics compared to also, again, these big tech companies, that's a completely other story how yeah. they operate. So I think this is definitely that the banks should use more and uh, and it's not even you don't even need like open banking for that actually one bank knows already all the data in, in reality that they can actually upsell better services for you and actually fine-tune services the other is of course these um, open banking sites that uh, these definitely open up like for example if you think about like classical let's say brokerages uh, marketplaces uh, things like that then, then I think that this is a, like, um, it opens up a fairly competitive market. Yeah. This will actually, uh, the end consumer will win on that because this will uh, bring down the prices and this will also uh, make the expectations. Like for example, in a lot of countries already, there is like lending is mainly conducted through brokers in reality, which means that the banks actually have to compete with one another on yeah. the marketplace if they can actually give out the loan to the customer. And this is definitely a good trend because this is the well competition is the sort of key of capitalism to keep up the services and uh, and improve them constantly. Absolutely. What do you think about it, Simon? 
Yeah, no, I think um, so. So we're in a, in a, in a unique position in, in terms of that at Yanoa, since since we only work with businesses, so so we don't uh, we don't work with all the consumer data, uh, but our customers do. And I think one thing that that is uh, that 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 is uh, front and center of, of crypto businesses, as 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 Ove also briefly mentioned before, is, is strong user authentication, uh, and and user data as as part of that. Uh, the, the best example is a, is a crypto broker that accepts credit cards, right? Um, because yep. for, for crypto businesses, everything is about transaction finality. Is this a final transaction? Will it be disputed? Uh, will there be chargebacks? Um, uh, can I can I send these Bitcoins out and, and make sure that I actually keep the money that the, uh, that the customer paid, right? Um, and that's that's the holy grail of crypto businesses and also why that um, uh, a lot of crypto businesses really need bank accounts uh, or payment accounts because the, of the transaction finality associated with those types of transactions. Um, this is also uh, what makes the difference. If you look at the crypto brokers taking credit cards, uh, the better they are at, at, at looking at the customer data, uh, the better they are at predicting chargeback rates and managing risk in, in terms of uh, user or authentication, fraud, transaction finality, the, the cheaper a product they'll be able to offer, uh, the lower the rates of, of buying Bitcoin um, because they, they manage that. So uh, once these uh, these customers uh, or, or these customers are already doing it of us, the businesses, uh, if they have these good insights and if they're in a position to use the, the KYC data and use the, the, the various types of uh, transaction related data, um, in a way for them to manage risk and, and for, for in a way for them to, to understand their customers. And um, uh, that is uh, that is what will, will enable them to capture uh, the margins and yeah. it, what the, uh, down the line will become an, a very competitive market as well. Yeah, I fully agree. And over um, also um, from your perspective, do you think that um, the open banking initiatives um, and the, based on the work that you've been um, doing with uh, established institutions and fintechs, um, how, how does that drive now banks and fintechs to rethink their positioning on this whole data topic um, because obviously um, PSD2 uh, regulated uh, third parties can now assess if the customer gives them consent to these, these data um, and, and allow basically other third parties to play around with that and build their services on top of it. Um, we're seeing more and more really interesting fintech plays around that in Europe, um, for example, in lending, also in, for example, in SME lending, where you can really directly assess um, ca cash flow data and transaction data from uh, all, all of a business's payment accounts and do autom automated underwriting in, in real time, for example. So we see really amazing innovation that has been opening up and is now really uh, more and more increasing in, in Europe. Um, do you see that? that there is maybe a, a switch in, in how banks and fintechs um, think about the data that they have and what kind of ecosystems they can build around that? Um, or um, is that still very early early days? What do you think? I, I, I think it definitely has made quite an impact, uh, especially that there is also one side impact that, uh, that the BSDU, BSDU and open banking, uh, they forced actually banks to technically open up these services, which already meant that they had to re-architecture things they needed to well, actually move a larger step towards being actually a tech company rather than just like something that runs on this old legacy technology. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I have to agree with your comment in that sense that I'm also seeing the similar things that there are uh, a lot of companies who are finding the niche in that sense that putting different services together, like for example, using the same transactional data and analysis on top of that to give out lending, uh, using the same uh, transactional data to, uh, let's say, uh, recommend some uh, products or purchases. Yeah. So that there, there are a lot of interesting movements uh, coming in. And I think that uh, 
uh, what this has um, made the banks think is also that, uh, that they, they sit on a gold mine, of course, on the transactional data, but they do lack some other data in that sense, like uh, what do I do, uh, what like web cookies, what do I visit and so on. Yeah. And, and definitely I'm seeing not in all banks, but in some banks that how to enrich their existing data also in that sense. So that uh, there is at least, I think it's relatively early stages still, but there is a driver also like for banks and fintechs to actually uh, look beyond themselves because now there is the capability. Absolutely. No, I think that that is very, very interesting. Um, we will also dive deeper in new business models that this whole um, APIification of banking will enable in our next session. Um, now I would like also to ask both of you um, a very interesting one, which is around the whole topic of the competitive landscape that has been playing out in banking. Simon, I would be really interested also to hear from your, your side first, coming from the crypto world. Who do you think banks and especially like traditional banks are now competing against in this whole digital landscape? What, are, what do you see as like the main competitors um, also, maybe in regards to crypto companies that potentially replace um, uh, full financial segments um, with, uh, based on blockchain technology and um, um, other kind of services around that. Um, who do you think banks should have on their radar when they think about um, their competition? Yeah, super, super relevant question. Um, again, uh, I think there's there's some some products that, that will make it to market. There's, there's some market demand for certain types of products be that uh, crypto investment products, yeah. uh, the trash products for, for corporates taking positions in, in say, Bitcoin. Um, there, there's, a, there's a kind of a, a product suite that, that will emerge that is right now emerging at the startups uh, and that will get closer to the banks. Uh, if yeah. the banks want to move into that space, which I think they, they, they will have to at some point, uh, again, they're not in, in an easy position to, to do that. Um, also, just as a as a founder uh, of a of a financial services uh, business or fintech here in in, in 2021 2022, uh, a, a lot of things has happened. Uh, also in crypto, uh, there is a lot of really 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 good tools out there, uh, both in terms of running and operating a, a normal startup, fintech startup, but yeah. also in terms of of the professionalization uh, of SaaS tools uh, and, and infrastructure for crypto businesses. Tomb is a, a great example of that. Um, uh, if 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 I started Yenoa maybe three years ago, there's a lot uh, that uh, that our tech team would have had to build uh, from scratch. Um, right now, there are providers as Tomb uh, out there that is that is able to uh, help startups move really really fast. Mm -hmm. uh, they they can of course also provide those same the solutions to banks. Uh, but again, banks have have different challenges. Is that they already have a lot of existing infrastructure. Yep. Uh, they they have the the traditional challenges of banks. So I'm I'm super grateful for being a founder in, in 2022, and it means that uh, our entire team can focus a lot on the business development, uh, on uh, critical infrastructure, on security, on on all these things that uh, that uh, I think are are the real interesting and fun fun parts of building a business. Uh, and then rely on uh, on a lot of, of really good providers for uh, for different parts of our um, of our stack and our mm -hmm. infrastructure. So I definitely think that is is one of the contrasts between the startups and the banks. Uh, I think the banks are starting to 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 pay attention to this way of, of building and innovating. But again, they 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 still have the challenges uh, in in being banks. Yeah, absolutely. And and over from your perspective, you've been serving through two uh, really cutting edge fintechs like like Yenra, and um, at the same time also uh, working with incumbents and in helping them modernizing their their core systems. Um, I think in recent years, then the kind of narrative has changed a little bit 
that it's not banks against digital uh, fintechs anymore, but more and more it's also about cooperation and learning from, from each other. So fintechs may be learning from larger banks how regulation and compliance uh, should be done in the right way, and banks learning from fintechs how to launch uh, innovative services uh, faster and uh, being more customer-centric maybe. Um, in, your, in your experience, how, how do you see the landscape playing out? Yeah, I would say that banks are actually uh, currently competing even with pretty much every company that has a large enough momentum that actually sees that they can offer financial services. Yep. So it's not, not even that like five or 10 years ago, it used to be a neo bank against an incumbent. Now it's pretty much like, um, let's say, Apple partnered up with Goldman Sachs, uh, Amazon partnered up with ING in that sense that they do offer lending and services and they have both buyers and the merchants there so that um, you, you are not actually competing uh, with maybe directly with another bank or, yeah. or even a fintech but you are competing pretty much with every company that sees a value that hey financial services will offer my uh, my portfolio that we have also actually customers of doom that are actually rather merchants in reality than, than financial services. Of course, they're regulated entities. They have taken all the time to actually get regulated, uh, get the proper either payment institution or lending institution license and so on. Uh, but still, they have their own niche. And it's very hard to get the customers away from them if they already have, uh, have like sort of uh, included this uh, stickiness to them. Yep. Uh, but I think that uh, what has um, happened as, a, as a, like a sort of market also that... Um, like let's say a couple of years ago and, and still least to some extent, there is of course a huge boom and increase of the applications for uh, financial institution licenses. Uh, but what has also now happened is that I guess, uh, let's say the companies, uh, especially the fintechs are becoming like uh, more aware of also what is the regulation action and what are the risks involved? Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, Simon, for example, mentioned AML prior, that's, that's enormous risk in that sense. It's not that you will just start offering payment services that things don't work this way. And, and I guess a lot of the fintechs have learned, learned about that as well in the process that although initially it seems, it seems very easy to take uh, business away from the bank, uh, but in reality, uh, actually, actually the key is to be like sort of more optimized and more clever and more streamlined rather than you can actually just come to the market and say that, hey, I have a, I have a service that doesn't actually control anything in the background. Yeah, no, fully agree. That's super interesting. Um, I also think in the white paper, like we basically touch upon all of these topics as well. So from digital first neo banks, which we're describing, um, big tech companies. You mentioned Apple and uh, and Amazon, um, um, Uber, and also other big tech companies are more and more branching out um, into the banking industry. Um, we also included online comparison platforms, which interestingly have increased market share in many European markets, for example, when it comes to loan distribution or mortgage uh, online comparison platforms, which is also a really interesting topic. Um, and then, of course, all the other brands which are coming from outside of the financial sector um, um, that are now increasingly um, integrate banking services into their wider value proposition, like super apps, for example, um, which has been a really interesting phenomenon. So if you're interested in all of this, I really um, recommend to check out the paper where we go deeper into all of these topics. Um, if we go on um, with another very interesting um, um, yeah, um, challenge that mostly traditional banks have to deal with, which is technology debt, um, something that we also address in, in the paper, which is something that basically yeah, it has to be mentioned if you talk about big challenges happening in, in, in this traditional financial industry right now. Um, over also from your experience, and then maybe also Simon, uh, you already mentioned now it's um, 
kind of easier than before to start fintech companies? Um, and over how do you see the traditional banks um, struggling with tech debt? And maybe um, what do you think, what kind of strategies can they adopt to enable them to really make most of their IT investments and IT modernization? Um, any learnings you can share around that? I think the main key is also what Simon said, that, that, that why it's good to be a founder in uh, 2022 is that there are companies like Doom and our competitors in general. And, and I think that what the banks can do is that uh, move away from this, let's say, uh, in-house uh, development, developing everything on your own, uh, keeping it up, that uh, a lot of the banks, what I see are doing is that they have, uh, they do greenfield launches. They take some specific business lines that they want to uh, want to make more modern, mm -hmm. and uh, and they do a greenfield launch on that. They uh, buy different services together. Uh, they uh, and they take the responsibility that they see that actually, I think the most value, and this is also what some of the McKinsey studies show that uh, that the banks should be responsible for the customer journeys and experience and the risk. Everything else in reality is a commodity. And there are definitely uh, like companies like us uh, in, in Zoom that who are focused on the banking infrastructure. And, and this is our only business. And we focus on that and we, we get input from all sorts of different customers, different markets. Yeah. One bank only sees their life so that automatically taking a platform is a better choice in reality because they have a much wider audience who they have to tackle. And this means also that technology wise, it's more fine tuned. Everything is more thought through in that sense. And, and more configurable okay. and and this is a this is a good way i think how to uh, how to do it that uh, a lot of the banks are also doing this that, that, that it's like sort of that full migration full everything bad but to be honest take it step by step in that sense that this is how how tech companies also work in reality you, you launch mvps in reality you don't you don't take that that i have this sort of enormous definition of ton and i will not launch anything until it's fully completed in that sense so so this yeah. is something that the banks can learn from also that, that that how to handle it absolutely uh so i mean um anything you want to share on that as well yeah no no i think i think you you covered most of it over I'm, I'm not uh, envious of the banks um they they yeah. have they have challenges in terms of, of digitalization take that attracting talent uh, and, and and these things they uh, they affect each other right there's a feedback yeah. loop uh, and kind of a, a funny question i i, I often ask if, I, if i'm talking to 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 engineers that worked in in, in some of the some of the big banks uh, of course given that they can disclose it is is uh, what's your what's your oompa loompa moment the oompa loompas <laughs> being these little uh, orange men uh, for that that makes uh, the the chocolate factory work at, at charlie and the chocolate factory right and and i often imagine that they like one day they sit and, and then they work at their desk and then and they go to the bathroom and on the way there's a broom closet open and they hear like a little bit of music and funny voices coming right and they open a hatch and they kind of look into the, the system uh, and then they they just see something and they're just like oh this is how they they manage databases or, or this is how they they mitigate this problem and it, it's kind of it blows their mind a little bit and they just like they close the hatch and they go back to their work and they they never think of it again right yeah. um, and and that's uh, that that is how some of these problems are, are being being mitigated in the banks is that there is a lot of uh, solutions that were meant to be temporary and suddenly they, they kind of made their their way into their through their infrastructure now they, they have to to build around that um, and uh, and and those are our challenges that are that you don't just solve overnight absolutely fully agree um also another part that, that we basically um 
Next to the technology depth that we also highlight in the paper is just the more general, the, the structural market developments, which make it more challenging to grow. Both of you have mentioned it already now in the course of the session. Um, I would say, yeah, just to give a little bit of context to our audience around that, it's um, it's that basically, um, if you look at uh, the market environment, it has been extremely challenging in recent years um, to really turn to a profit for many traditional banks, um, just because this traditional balance sheet based business model is very capital intense. Um, so it becomes less, less relevant for revenue generation, over, over mentioned it also a little bit, um, that it's more about really origination uh, um, you know, value-added services, uh, maybe even platform-based business models that are now bringing the most growth in, in financial services. Um, there have been some studies that have been showing, for example, that the return on equity, um, which uh, shows how efficient banks are managing the capital inside the European Union, um, has declined from 6% to only 3% from 2019 to 2020. Um, and also globally that most banks basically trade at book value versus more, all other mainstream industries trading at uh, at least three times the book value. So you can also see like investor sentiment on traditional banks has been has been a little bit dark in, 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 in the past. So um, and um, yeah, so that's why we basically basically describe in the white paper and highlight some of the more structural um, problems that are happening, which banks cannot really influence. But of course, so they still have to find a way to um, to grow and to innovate. Um, and yeah, so I think that will be interesting to see how that will turn out um, in the future. Um, I would say as an outlook, maybe um, where, we, where the banking industry is going next, I'm sure you both have very uh, interesting opinions on that as well. But now we talked about um, like increasing customer expectations, um, regulation like open banking, um, technology debt, new, new competitors that are emerging. Um, but what do you think are some positive signs and positive elements that banks and also fintechs obviously can leverage um, to build a more future-proof business going forward. Do you think it will be technology and also new business models? Do you think it's uh, customer trust? Um, I would be really interested to hear in your opinion, what do you predict as like, let's say over the next five to 10 years, what will be very relevant, what banks should be actually tackling in terms of um, um, yeah, innovating and being able to grow in the future? Simon, if you wanna start off. Yeah. Um, again, uh, putting on the, the, the blockchain glasses, uh, having having been part of, of this industry for a while, if you go back to, to 16 or 16, uh, blockchain technology was kind of uh, presented as, as one of the solutions to solve a lot of these challenges of the banks, uh, especially in terms of tech, in terms of collaboration, uh, in terms of settlement, all these things. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, that then turned out to, to actually not be the case. Uh, blockchain was more about the products. It was more about the cryptocurrencies, all, always was. Um, and, and, and all these very large projects with a lot of different stakeholders for the banks, joining consortiums, doing working groups, uh, all, all kind of showed that the solution wasn't blockchain. Uh, it, it wouldn't go in and fix it. Uh, it, it wasn't that the, that the banks had a, uh, had a blockchain problem. They, they had very kind of down-to-earth problems. They had challenges in terms of collaboration, uh, building common protocols. They had challenges in terms of user identities. They had challenges in terms of digitalization and automation. Um, quite, I would say, almost uh, generic problems for any large institutions. Of course, they're very regulated and, and all these things at the same time. Um, but but a lot of the, the problems are, are, uh, are in terms of automation and digitalization and and these things are more complex if you run a financial institution um, but 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 also it, it, it it's not necessarily a a tech problem it's 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 the the, the approach to, to solving that and the, and the, the systemic challenges uh, inside okay. them and yeah 
Yeah, and you think the positive elements will then rather be to not only look at technology in terms of being super disruptive, like blockchain that was really hyped up in the last years, but to have maybe a more realistic approach in assessing how technology helps to, let's say, solve more fundamental um, issues that banks have um, at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think you see that around strong uh, user authentication that yeah. solves a lot of problems downstream of that. You see it with, with PSD2 and open banking and innovation that it makes sense to take some of the innovation and actually move that out of the banks to, yeah. towards more agile uh, organizations like like Genoa. And so so I think we're, we're definitely on the right way. And I think part of this open banking regulation has actually pushed that agenda forward. And, and, and that's I'm happy to see that both as a, as a citizen, but also as a as an entrepreneur. Amazing. Over, what's uh, your, your opinion on that? Uh, one, one thing is that uh, since a lot of the banks are currently uh, upgrading like their infrastructure uh, due to the BSD2 doing reworks, I think that's actually a good time for also to uh, relook at uh, processes that, as Simon said, that, you, you, that initially it was like also that now blockchain, there is a new technology and the technology will help everything. The issue is not about technology, but the issue is that how to use the technology. Yep. What I see also is that the banks take that they they still take the processes from the previous days and just bring in new technology. But in reality, nothing changed. You have more fancier websites, you have uh, more fancier back offices, uh, maybe some automation, but that's it. I think that they, they are currently losing a bit of the good opportunity to actually look at what how they are operating and how this can be uh, automated. Also, one other way how they can uh, future-proof themselves is that uh, I think that like we ourselves, that we, we are in a... As, as a banking infrastructure, we also have quite a wide ecosystem of partners that whom we have integrated, whom through we offer different services. And I think this is something that the banks can also do in that sense, that uh, don't take everything, everything on your own, partner up in that sense. And, uh, and this opens up also a lot of, a lot of different uh, new business lines even that uh, you can partner up with that. You have the capital and license, somebody else has to take, you can already have like a banking as a service offering to some extent. You want to access to the crypto world why not partner up with january why why do you have to start doing it your own and build your some sort of blockchain division in the company when you actually have companies whom to partner up with um and and you can have all sorts of uh, collaborations there you can have like uh, revenue share you can bring in new business models in that sense so that uh, you maybe actually don't have to do that much in reality that you actually only either offer some capital or some other parts of the bank but actually let the, let the fintech or the newcomer do the work, but you still get the benefits. Yep. And the other opportunity is also to in, literally invest in the companies, what we are seeing that the large incumbents are doing, that they see that that it doesn't make actually sense. It would be uh, more expensive on themselves to build something than actually invest in some company, really take a stake and automatically they have access to the business and, and yep. the know-how and the people. So I think this is a wonderful opportunity for the banks. Absolutely. I think that's uh, that uh, really sums it up quite well. Um, I also fully agree with you that um, really rethinking um, from first principles what you can do now in terms of new business models and increasing customer experience uh, based on new technology, not just for new technology sake, but really utilizing it in, in novel ways. That is a really big opportunity. Um, we will also address it actually in our next session because um, there have been some studies that have been showing that especially after financial crisis, which has been uh, now the case, unfortunately, due to the COVID-19 crisis, um, are the most important uh, um, is or is the most, most important time actually um, to reinvent and to um, to start building for the next decade of growth. So this this timing is also very very important. Um, 
And now that uh, there are new technologies in place to really um, help banks to, to be able to compete better, um, to, as you just mentioned, to build out uh, new business models as well, new revenue streams, um, and to really look at the changed customer landscape and changed customer expectations, what we've been now all talking about in the session. I think that is very, very important. And um, yeah, it will be very interesting to follow up how that actually evolves over the next years and which banks are the winners there and, and which fintechs are able to become more and more established. Um, I'm also very interested how, how the crypto world will will um, play a role in that and i think it's already it's early days but it's already very established so um so simon i think that will be very interesting to follow up as well um but from my side um thanks a lot for participating in this online session over and simon um thanks for sharing your insights um as i said in the next session we will then focus more on the technologies um in banking and then also how to enable new business models um, if you're interested in diving deeper into all of these topics go to tomplatform.com you can there find our latest white paper um, and yeah, Simon and, and, and Ove, um, have a nice day and I uh, hope to uh, speak soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you.